Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Optusport Football Podcast. I'm joined as always by Phil Kittramalides, and today we're joined for the first time by former Carter City and Wolves striker Jay Bothroyd. Welcome, Jay. What a pleasure it is. Great to be here. Well, it's a pleasure actually to have an England international for a change because normally we just got Michael Bridges. <laughs> I didn't want to bring that up, but since you did, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, Michael, uh, let's, let's be honest, he was a little bit unfortunate with injuries throughout his career. Um, and uh, yes, he did score a very, very fortunate goal against me once before, um, but that's about it. Um, yeah, and it, look, he's Australian as well, so I've got to feel sorry for him. Not sorry for him. I've got to be on his side a little bit because he's Australian these days as well. Let's put it. Let's put it down to that. Let's put <laughs> exactly. it down to that because he, he was a top forward. He did score some goals. Uh, he was unlucky with injuries. So let's just put it down to the injuries. The reason why I didn't get one. Speaking of goals <laughs> being scored against Mark Schwarzer, I've been doing some research and I've got Jay's record against Schwarzy. So you played each other four times. Schwarzy came out victorious twice. There was one win for Jay and one draw. Jay never actually scored oh. against Mark. Never. Oh. But, <laughs> no, that's listen, brilliant. Listen that's to music this. to my ears. Did, I, did sound, I get any assists? Uh, I didn't go that deep, but listen to this. It does sound here from this BBC report of in April 2006 that Jay was actually robbed of a goal against Schwartzy, which is the most coveted thing in football. We all know that. By... The current England manager, because they, this is this is the report. It says the two goal advantage lasted just three minutes before Charlton substitute Jay Bothroyd sure hit, saw his shot bounce off former England defender Gareth Southgate and into the borough net. So you would have had a goal <laughs> had it not been for that pesky Gareth Southgate, Jay. Well, he's always getting in the way, isn't he? <laughs> Thank you, Gareth Southgate. Uh, look, I've always liked Gareth, and uh, he's obviously done a good job there. Not that he scored an own goal, but the fact is that Jay doesn't get credit with that goal. So I'm absolutely delighted with that. Um, let's start with the breaking news. Um, a couple of hours or an hour or so, or less than an hour before this podcast has been recorded, Roy Hodgson has stepped down as Crystal Palace manager and has been replaced by Austrian coach Oliver Glasner. Probably one of the worst kept secrets in terms of Oliver Glasner coming in to replace him, uh, Phil. We've, it's been on going for a number of days now, hasn't it? It has. Um, this is this is a situation that has just been a bit strange for for a while. Now. I mean, since last summer, I think everybody was just thinking, why did they give Roy another year contract? And I guess it's uh, maybe you can you can understand it as loyalty um he's a tremendous legendary figure at the club um he did an amazing job last season but it just felt like at the end of last season he kept them up did a good job it was time to say thank you and off you go and that extra uh, year of a contract it was hard for him to reject uh, you know and um it just felt like this had gone on too long so with the results the way that they were going and Roy in the situation that he was in both sort of professionally but also you know physically is 
He's uh, 76 years old, which is um, quite an age to be managing at the highest level week in, week out. It just feel like this was this was coming. And obviously, you know, Schwartz, you've got a good, you've got a great relationship with him. You played under him. You you know him better than any of us, and you know better than a lot of people. I guess you can understand um, how this was why, that that this was coming. But how do you think that he was feeling in this kind of situation? Did he feel like a bit awkward, almost a bit embarrassed, like I've outstayed my welcome? I think he'll be disappointed that he's had to end his time at Palace under these circumstances. I think he would have liked mm. to have potentially have even gone on with another game, get a get a win, get a good performance. Um, so obviously, I think from that aspect, it hasn't been the ideal way. But I think circumstances, and there's nothing more important than your health, right? So I think it suits everyone, and the the it sort of all all kind of aligns. You know, the the club are in a bad run of form. He fell ill, therefore the next progression is to change and bring in a new manager. And Oliver Glasner um, will go on to him shortly, but I think he's more than qualified to take on the role. I mean, uh, Jay, did you, were you surprised in the first place that Roy was given the job, um, certainly into this next this season, this current season? I'm not sure I was surprised that Roy got the job. I'm more surprised that they just let Patrick Vieira go because I know that he was, he was in a bad run of form. Um, but I think he did help a lot of the young players progress. Um, he gave them the platform to go and play, and that's what they've done. Um, the likes of Eze, Elise, players like that, uh, Mitchell at left-back, done really well. Um, but I found it a bit strange, if I'm honest. I know he was Roy was a stopgap, um, but then not letting him go again, I mean, letting him stay on, I felt was a bit of a, a step back almost because... I mean, you can tell me, Mark, but from what I've heard, I know a lot of players that have actually worked with him, like Steven Sidwell, Bobby Zamora, and they said he's a very good manager, he's a really good guy, but a lot of his training regimes are a bit pedestrian. It's a lot of kind of um, keeping clean sheets, um, ta- tactical stuff, rather than going to play um, phases of play. And, you know, I mean, you can tell me, but that's what I've, I've, I've heard. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of it was very, very structured, but... I caught up with him earlier on with Optus Sport uh, in the season and we talked very much about his role as the manager and ha- was he as hands-on now as he was back then, even like from the Fulham days? And he said, no, I- I'm not. And I allow my coaching staff around me to have more involvement. I think last season, the back end of last season, where he came in and replaced Patrick Vieira and they went on this tremendous run of form, showed that he had given them a little bit more freedom to express themselves and go forward and played more attracting fo- attracting uh, attractive football. I think this season earlier on certainly there were there were there were glimpses of that continuing. Of course when things start to go wrong and you have uh, bad result after bad result you start to revert back to being probably a little bit more safe and a little bit more uh, reserved in the way you play. But also let's not forget I mean I mean missing Elise, for example, for, for such a long, Eze for such long periods of time was also a big, big blow to, to Palace. And I think that hindered Palace going forward, certainly in an attacking uh, perspective. And, and I think that's one of the reasons I think we saw also a slightly more defensive, maybe, maybe the old sort of style of what people expected under Roy. Once they came back, I think we saw a little bit again of that bit more of an expressive side in Palace. Um, but again, unfortunately, the injuries have caught up with him again. So that's the big issue. 
I, I, f- I feel that when I look at Roy Hodgson's team, again, they're very organised. But I think when you've, in this day and age, when you've got young players coming through, um, they want to play expansive football. That's the only way you're going to get the best out of them. And I feel that, you know, when those players did play, like you said, Eze and Elise, when they did play and they was on top of their game, that's when you see good performances. I think, Chris, I, I think they've always lacked a striker. They haven't had someone that's going to go and, you know, at least, let's just say, 10, 12 Premier League goals. I think they've lacked that and that's cost Palace because they do get into good areas. Um, but I just feel like in order for the club to move forward, they need to bring in someone. And, you know, again, I think Patrick Vieira was the guy, but unfortunately he went. Um, and now it's Oliver that can can come in and maybe do a job. But I just feel that, I feel that Roy Hodgson was a stopgap, but they should have left him after he did so well in keeping him up. I think it was becoming problematic with the fans as well. I mean, you saw, was it a few weeks ago at Arsenal where they got thumped 5-0? The fans had brought a banner with them um, complaining even before the game. Like They, they knew they were going to get beaten. And I think the fans were just um, waiting for this to happen. So I think a lot of fans will be very, very happy that this has happened. Not happy, I think people feel still warmth towards Roy Hodgson because what he've achieved, a legendary figure at the club, six seasons there, uh, 200 get like people really feel warmth towards Roy Hodgson and also his character as well, I think, endears that. But it was time. It was time. And I think you now know, that he's gone, like people will feel even more warmth to him now that he's gone. To be honest, I just feel that there's a way to lose games. Like, Mark, you will know this. If you lose games and you lose, you know, you, you give everything, you know, you, you miss chances, you know, you expect Arsenal to win, but it was the manner they lost in. It looked like they just gave up. It looked like they wasn't responding to, to Roy's tactics. It looked like they wasn't listening to what the coaches had to say from the side. Um, me, personally, when every time I've played at Palace, and even when you see the big teams go to Palace, they, they're always difficult games there. It's never easy. And I just felt that those that performance in particular against Arsenal, it was just like they gave up in the end. And I think fans, they they can't... They, you know, you, you, you just can't do that. Fans don't expect you to be Arsenal, but they expect you to put everything in for 90 minutes or however long the game is. And I think they want to see good football. And I just feel like Roy Hodgson's tactics, you know, kind of kept the kept the players behind the ball and tried to protect the draw from the first kick of the game. Yeah, I mean, just interestingly, I think this sort of fits in, ties in nicely with the kind of mindset of Crystal Palace. Steve Parrish, the Crystal Palace chairman, has said, Roy has a special place in Crystal Palace history and this will be never forgotten. After four years in which he led the club to maintaining Premier League status season after season, he once again joined us nearly a year ago to steady this ship and worked wonders. He then agreed to continue in the summer speaks volumes about his commitment to our club. Quite simply, we owe our continued Premier League status to Roy. I would like to thank Roy enormously for his service and wish him the very best in the future. It's fair to say Roy has the keys to Sellers Park and always will be welcome back. Which, for me, it's all about Premier League status. For a club like Crystal Palace, it's about staying in the Premier League year after year after year. And when you have a person like Roy with his experience and his commitment and his affection and affiliation with the club, it kind of was a no-brainer. And then when you were talking there, Jay, about Patrick Vieira, it was a wobble, the time where things weren't going so well and an inexperienced manager, Palace can't afford to get those decisions wrong. So they possibly would react sooner than most others. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. 
I mean, it is a results-based business at the end of the day. And if you're not kicking, picking up those results, then, you know, you need to bring someone in that will. Um, but nevertheless, I think the teams that, like, in those kind of... Okay, in the bracket that I look at Palace in, you know, you'd put Brighton in that um, that bracket. Now, mm-hmm. while Brighton's recruitment and the way they coach, the philosophy they have, obviously speaks, you know, it, it's been terrific over the last few seasons with the, the Zerbi. When I look at Palace, they just haven't had a philosophy or identity for many years now. And I think that's the problem. And I think when the fans look at Palace, I think they're saying, well, if Brighton can do it, why can't Palace? You know, if other teams down the bottom can do it, why can't Palace? Because Palace are a big club, let's be honest, like especially down that south part of London, Surrey and whatnot. I think that they've got really good fans. I just feel like they don't have a philosophy. And, and I think that's what they're searching for now. I think if we, probably fair to say, I mean, I never say never, but I would be pretty safe to say it's probably Roy's last ever job in management. And you have to say hats off to him, an amazing career, wonderful achievements throughout. I mean, for me, most personally, at time at Fulham, we reaching a, a European Cup final with a club like Fulham was was quite remarkable. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, it was one of some of the most enjoyable times in my career, certainly playing under him uh, with the group of players that we had. And I know Danny Murphy and Brett Hangeland and all these people speak very highly of him as well and probably agree with that as well. Um, let me let's just move say, on. Mark, let Pick me on. just say, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm being negative to Roy as well, because I really do like him, to be honest. I, I, was, I was with him not too long ago at Sky Sports. So, you know, I've got the utmost respect for him. He has had an amazing career. England manager as well, done some fantastic I feel like there's a buck coming here. There's a no, no, there's no buts. He's he's been nothing short of amazing throughout his career. I, I, I get I get the the questioning about Palace, but the, the the problem with that is that when you talk about Brighton in a comparison, Brighton have done it all the way through. So they've done it from Championship upwards. They've they've set the groundworks in place for a long period of time. Palace have been Palace, and they've been like that for the last forever, right? So to change things so dramatically would take would be a risk certainly in their eyes. So that would that would be a problem, I think, uh, and that would be a whole changing of a mindset and a big risk to their safety and survival in the Premier League. So new manager, Oliver Glasner. Um, does anyone know much about him? Well, he's someone that has been on the sort of periphery of getting a Premier League job for about a year or so. He was linked to actually Spurs uh, in, the, in the summer before Ange. Ange went there and he's someone that I think he's like improved every team that he's been at. He's left them in a, in a better space. So I was, when he was in, in Austria and he was with Lask in Linsk, he, they, they finished second in the Austrian uh, Bundesliga behind Red Bull Salzburg. They, they win every single year. So all you can do is finish second. He finished second with them. He went on to Wolfsburg he took, in the German Bundesliga, took them to the uh, Champions League, left them, went to Eintracht Frankfurt, took them into the Champions League knockout stages, won the Europa League as well. So he's a manager that has shown clear progression in his in his uh, career. And I think the next logical step after you know achieving really quite impressive things wherever he's been is to get a chance at Premier League. And I think this is an uh, intelligent appointment from, uh, from Crystal Palace. And it sounds like he's going to try and play the kind of football that... That could help them, uh, high pressing, counter attacking, and see if they can they can actually move up the table. Do you know what? To be honest, I, I, I see him. I've seen him a couple of times now. Obviously at Wolfsburg, I watched uh, some German football, and then obviously with Frankfurt. But actually, his win percentage has gone down from Wolfsburg to Frankfurt. Even though they he, he done really well with them in Europe, his win ratio is only thirty nine percent. At Wolfsburg, he was forty seven percent. 
So as much as, you know, he, he did take Frankfurt, to, you know, and done, done amazing with Frankfurt in Europe, I just feel like he's going to have to make some changes if he comes to the Premier League because he, I don't really see many clubs in the Premier League playing three at the back and doing really well. They always the, concede goals. And I think that's, he's going to have to adapt to the Premier League quick. The, in his defence, what I will say, and knowing what it's like when you play in European competition and you do well in them, something has to give. And a club like Wolfsburg, and I tracked Frankfurt at the times, they didn't have the biggest squads. They didn't have the, the ability to be competitive on both sides. So I think the sacrifices were getting into Europe, then doing well in European competition. Eintracht Frankfurt, of course, going on and winning the Europa League. Then the next season, they got to the, the German Cup final and they got to the knockout yeah. stages of the Champions League. So that took a lot of, a lot of uh, energy and efforts from them. And I, I witnessed them beat Barcelona at the Camp Nou in yes. one of the most ridiculous evenings of football I've ever seen because there were 30,000 Eintracht Frankfurt supporters there. It was absolutely uh, insane, but we, they actually played really, really well. Scored were you at the game? Goals and were, well, Phil, no, were you at the game? I wasn't. I wasn't. I wish I, I, wish I had been, um, but I was being told by all my colleagues in Barcelona that it was just this invasion of, uh, of German fans and it was really, really memorable. Um, just quickly, Jay, how do you think you'll do? I think it's going to be tough because I think when you come into the Premier League, you've got to adapt to the English English game quickly. And there's no doubt about it. He's probably watched loads and loads of you know, Premier League matches. Um, but I think he needs to find out what, his, what 11 he's going to go with, what system you know, he can play with. Because I think a lot of those players, I'm not sure they can play in that. You know, he likes to play uh, three, three, four, uh, two, one um, formation. I'm not sure how... You know, many players can play in that system. For example, Elise, when he comes back, he likes to play as a, a wide player, a wide um, right winger. Um, if they're going to play that 3 4 2 1, what are you going to play him as a wing back almost? Or are you going to play him as one of the number 10 supporting the striker? I think mm. he needs to work that out, but I think he's got the credentials to do it. Um, I think uh, the Palace fans will enjoy the football he's going to play, um, but it's going to be tough for him, I think. Phil? Yeah, um, that's pretty pretty good, good analysis there from uh, from Jay. Um, he's like I said, I'll go back to what I said before. He's had success wherever he's gone, uh, and he's left the club in a better position. And I think he, I'll stick my neck out on the line and say he'll leave <laughs> Crystal Palace in a better position than they are now. Well, let's yeah, hope I'll... he stays there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, hasn't, he hasn't stayed that long, to be honest, where he's been. So yeah, let's no. See. That's the only that's the only question mark, I suppose, is that. I mean, I suppose it'll ask then at the Wolfsburg, he's always gone on to that next step up again, right? Each time. So Frankfurt was the interesting one, but I think it had to do with sports directors changing at the end of that season, therefore not quite working out. Um, I, I also think I think he'll I think he's a bit of a he could be a, potentially a, a pretty good coup for for Crystal Palace. I, I think he's a good a good appointment. Um, but I'm with you, Jay. It's about how does he adapt? How quickly does he adjust to the Premier League? Um, and that's going to be the big question mark. And that's always the same thing with any foreign manager, let's be honest. Um, let's move to the Premier League title race. As it hots up, currently we've got Liverpool on 57 points, Arsenal 55, and Man City on 53 with a game in hand. Um, when you look at the remaining fixtures, um, but all of them have tough games, right? All of them have. Look, Liverpool are playing City um, on the on the tenth of of, of uh, next month. They have got Everton, Merseyside derby. They got Man United away. They got Villa away, which I think is a tricky tricky game. City again. We have got Manchester derby, Liverpool away, of course. 
Arsenal at home, and then Spurs away. So they're all in, they're, they're, they've they've all got tough, tough games. Um, and I think I think when you uh, Arsenal as well has got Chelsea at home, Spurs away, right? So they've got the North London derby as well. It's a long time since we've had a three-horse race at this stage of the season. Um, is it also fair to say that we are saying it's a three-horse race? Are we ruling Villa, Spurs, and United out of the title race, Jay? Yes. <laughs> they're not in the title. They're not in the title race. I'm sorry, but like you said, I think it's very refreshing that there's a free horse title race. I think it's really good for the league. I think it shows a strength uh, and depth in the in, in the Premier League. If I'm honest, I think this is going to go very close. I, I can't pick it. To be honest, I will say it. I'm a big Arsenal fan, by the way. I think you guys just need to know that. But Ooh, bit of we, know, we know. Yeah, we know. yeah. I'm a, I'm a big Arsenal fan, but I'm just. I don't. I don't think Arsenal will 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 sustain the pace. To be honest, and that's just due down to the squad. Um, I always talk about the depth of the squad. Um, Jesus is injured far too much for my liking. Um, if Martinelli's not playing well, you you don't really have backup for him. Um, even even if Saka doesn't play well, there's no real backup. Trossard's done well when he's come in, um, but I just don't feel they have the. The, a, a strong enough squad to go and make a real run. I think it'll be close still. And then you've got Liverpool. They've had some, they've had some, you know, costly injuries. So I, I, I'm still going with Man City, but I think it's going to be close. I'm, I'm laughing because I think on last week's podcast, I was telling everyone about my um, WhatsApp group of uh, Arsenal friends that I'm in. They all support Arsenal and I obviously am the only Spurs fan there. And they just uh, won you know, 6-0 away at West Ham and, and it was an incredible performance. And they were being so negative going, yeah, but you know, if we had a central striker, we, we could have scored much more. We should have scored more than just six. And Let me just tell you straight you. now, yeah. Let me tell you, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. All my families, I live in North London still as well. Arsenal fans were a little bit deluded. I'll be honest with you. When it comes, when yeah, it comes well, to... I know that. I know that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's like the Dallas Cowboys, you know. We've been waiting for a league for so long and it just never comes around. Um, but one, one thing I'd say about Arsenal is they learned some... They had some... There was issues last year where there was three games in particular. I forgot the three games now, but it was teams that you think they're easy game. I think Southampton was one of them. Bournemouth... Um, and I think West Ham actually was one of them as well. And their games that you you say Arsenal wins them games. Um, Man City, I think, were like I don't know ten points behind. They had a, two games in hand. Arsenal did as well. I think the experience part of winning the league comes into it, of being in that position that comes into it. And I don't feel that Arsenal have enough experienced players that have been in these situations before that can you know spur them young players on give them the the push the the belief to to go and do it and i feel like when i look at city i just think that they have that and even though they've stumbled a bit now i can still see them going on that run where they go and win 15 games again but arsenal were in this kind of position last season and they didn't make it so won't that experience help them this season i mean listen they've they've been in it i think they'll they'll do better but I just don't think it will last. I mean, like I said, injury is going to play a huge part. Um, Partey hasn't played for a while now. Jesus, it seems like he comes in and then he's out again for a, uh, you know a month or two, having operations on his knees. Um, Martinelli's you know form is a bit up and down. I think the only consistent performers, as I mean this season, if I'm honest, is as has been you know the back line. They've been pretty consistent, good record. And then I'm saying Declan Rice, Odegaard, and Saka. The rest of them, you know. 
have been a bit inconsistent. And I feel like going down to the nitty gritty and what I call the business end of the season, um, you know, them players need to be on top form. And I'm not entirely sure. I won't bet my house on it, put it that way. <laughs> uh, but, but, but hang on. But we're talking last five games, they've scored 21 goals. Home to Palace 5 0, away to Forest 2 1, beat Liverpool 3 1, away to West Ham 6 0, 5 0 away to Burnley. And one would say, okay, you've got to beat Palace, you've got to beat Forest, you've got to beat West Ham and Burnley, right? To have any chance of winning the league. The performance against Liverpool was a great one, and, and, and you know, take it over what you want, but they won the game 3 1. But it's the manner in which they won those games against Palace, West Ham, Burnley. Isn't that yeah. enough to suggest that? Arsenal in a far better position than they were last season. And then this is on top of finishing top of their group in the Champions League. So they've also got the added exerts of, of, of European football to deal with. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I just think when there's expectation on Arsenal, when like last season, you expect Arsenal to win those three games, Arsenal in a comfortable position. You think everyone's talking about them winning the league, me, and, me included. I thought it was going to be last year. And then... And then it doesn't happen. And I just feel like when there's that expectation, when they're in the driving seat to go and do it, they just stumble. And I feel like it's it's happened many times now. And, and that's why I'm just, I'm not getting, you know, too excited. Don't get me wrong, they're in a great position, but I'm just not getting too excited yet. Yeah, it's not just you because, yeah, like all, all, I think every Arsenal fan in North London is a similar position. Like last year, got got excited, allowed themselves to believe that they were going to win the league. It didn't happen. So everyone's been a lot more cautious. I'm not going to say negative, a lot more cautious this season. But believe me, I'm a Spurs fan and I'm watching Arsenal and I'm thinking, wow, they are absolutely beating up on teams in the lower half of the table. Like they've got a really, really good record, like putting loads of goals and like winning games early as well like comfortably like there's no, they're not letting anyone even have a sniff you, have a chance in these games do you know do you not know, think though the only game that they had real pressure on this let's just say from at this point of the season was a liverpool game because everyone was saying if they don't win this game that's it right right and to they be won. fair they went out there and performed <laughs> i think the other games that, that's a, that's a given they're doing what they should do you don't but tell your kids well done for not, going to school yeah they, but not they, the way they, they did it jay that's the I'm difference, sorry, Mark. Right? They should be doing it that way. They're not good teams. Burnley's not I, a good team. You should be no, beating them up. I, I agree. But, but I'm, what I'm saying is that many games back-to-back, the, the, the goals that they've scored, 21 goals in five matches, with players like Jesus not being really in and out. Of, he's been in and out of the team, injured, fit, not fit. I, I, I just I don't know. There's something about Arsenal this season that certainly gives me, instills me a little bit more confidence than it did last season, that's for sure. I'm not saying that they're favourites to win it. They are still genuinely with a chance to win it and they're there and I think they're better for last season. Mark, would you bet on them? Um, would I bet on them? No, I wouldn't. I'm saying I wouldn't bet on them right now, no. No, I, 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 I would, I'd be the same. And, and after the weekend's game, so we'll go on to Liverpool. So Liverpool played away at Brentford on the weekend. I was there on the weekend uh, in the stadium and um, this, was a, this was a potential banana skin, major, because Brentford are tough to play against. Um, I know their form hasn't been that great this season at home. They've been up and down. Tony back on fire. Um, and the way that the pitch is, tight, narrow stadium. Brentford in the first 10, 15 minutes caused Liverpool a lot of problems. Liverpool, what impressed me about them was how they adjusted. And they actually, when I say adjusted, it was simple. They ended up playing a bit of Route 1 football. And they, they punished Brentford in their own game. Um, the, the downside for uh, for Liverpool, as like we all know, is the injuries that they sustained. 
And that's their biggest issue, you know, off the back, you know, off the back of already having Schlobberslai, Alexander-Arnold, Alisson, Thiago, who is a long-term casualty anyway. He's hardly ever been fit since he's been in the club. Obviously, Jota um, and uh, uh, Curtis Jones going out injured. I mean, Nunes, they're saying that he took, that was taken off for cautionary reasons. Then you think they've got FA Cup. They're in the Europa League draw. That's what worries me about Liverpool. Is I know they're top of the table, but it worries me about yeah. how thin they're becoming with their injuries. Do you guys agree? I completely agree. And to be honest, I was the same as you. I'm watching that game on the weekend and I'm like, Brentford are playing really well here. And then they just caught them on the counter-attack. And to be fair, it was great. It was a great header from Jota. That's just absolute vision. Oh, magnificent. Was a, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been really harsh on, on, on... I say harsh. I've been really hard on Nunes um, because I don't think he's... Uh, He's not a clinical striker for me. He's a striker that shoots, but there's a difference between a striker that shoots and a finisher. You all know that, Mark. Like when he's running through on goal there, I don't know what's going to happen. It's like, is he going <laughs> to score? I don't know. I've seen him go around the keeper and hit the posts. So, but that he he finished that really, really well. The fact that he's gone off injured and they haven't really said what it's gonna what it is. If it's just you know maybe he's just twisted an ankle a little bit. It's apparently a precautionary precautionary reasons they substitute him at half time. So uh, there's something he's obviously felt something. So they've they've done it as a precautionary measure. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, but they, they they've got strength in depth, man. They've got strength in depth, particularly particularly up front. I mean, the, the front three that they finished the game with is Salah, Gakpo and Luis Diaz. I mean, having lost some important players and, you know, that's, that's, that's a strong front I do, three. I do, it's, just, it's on paper, it's a strong front three, but, I mean, Gakpo hasn't really set the world alight since he's come to Liverpool. Um, Luis Diaz, he started playing really well now. Um, obviously, he had the, the traumatic time with his, with his family, um, which, you know, you can't ignore that. That must be, you know terrible in itself obviously Salah went away to the African nations I'm saying there's still a good forward line but if they don't have those players that are injured coming back soon like Trent um Shabozlai, um Curtis Jones I, I, people sleep on Curtis Jones he's important to the way they play um he doesn't get enough credit he should be in the England squad that's how good he is um and then Jota who I think Jota is amazing for me um, I, I love the way he plays football. He can go deep. He's strong. He's got pace. He can jump and head the ball. Um, in particular, I think Liverpool will miss Jota because he gets a lot of important goals for the club. Yeah, if you look if you look at their games now, they've got Luton in two days' time. They've got the League Cup final on Sunday against Chelsea. Three days later, they play the FA Cup against Southampton. And then they've got the next league game about five days later. It's It's a big moment in their season and with those injuries piling up. The, the positive is Salah coming back, the influence he had on the weekend, set up and scoring a goal, and Gakpo scored on the weekend as well. I know what you're saying about Gakpo. It's, I think he's still trying to find his place in that team, but I still think he's a, he's a real handful. I agree with you. I think Jota is going to be their biggest loss, and he's probably their biggest concern in terms of how long he's out injured uh, after going off on the weekend. What position is Gakpo? Because I, I I'm, I'm not convinced he's a striker. No, I, I think he's a number a ten, maybe. Yeah, I, I I think he's a ten, potentially even as a wide player, um, as as a kind of a, a yeah wide player tucking in or or looking to get out around the outside. I mean, he's got enough pace. He's he's quick enough, 
and he's got the the yeah. height. So he, I, I think he's a, I think he's a, he's a, he's a big talent in the making. Of course, that's why they signed him in the first place. Um, but when when we haven't seen anywhere near his best form, one other player I want to mention is um, Alexis McAllister. Um, how good a signing is he for what 30, 30 million from Brighton, uh, Phil? I think it was a bit more than that, uh, but. Um, it is definitely one of the signings of the uh, of the season. It's turning out to be, um, in in a position that you know it's been a bit of overhaul for for Liverpool uh, this season with new players coming into to midfield, and he seems to have uh, slotted in and and become extremely important. I mean, it shouldn't be surprising that a World Cup mid- winning midfielder is is actually very good at football, but he seems to have found his <laughs> place in this team. And uh, yeah, I mean, you you were very excited with Sobislai at the start of the season, uh, Schwartzy, and, and he's proved to be a very good signing as well. But Alexis McAllister just quietly has just got, gone about becoming really, really important in this, in this Liverpool team. And um, yeah, I think most Liverpool fans would tell you that. No, I was going to say that I, I really like McAllister. I liked him from the beginning, to be honest, at uh, Brighton. I was hoping that Arsenal would make a move for him and bring him to Arsenal. Um, but they decided to go with Havertz. Don't know no why. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I did notice at Liverpool early on, because, <laughs> because of Havertz. injuries. Yeah, Havertz yeah. Uh, and or uh, I don't really want to talk about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was loads. I, I know Havertz, where I go. Was all, Madison. I, 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 I like... Lots. It's funny, you know, I'm, I'm going to go against the grain a little bit, right? I do like Havertz. I just don't think... I, I think we're seeing, we're seeing a better Havertz now than we have more recently with, with Arsenal. I think he's, he's finally starting to find his place a little bit. Um, I was never quite sure of how good he'd be because at Leverkusen he came in and out of games. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And in the Premier League, it's another step up. And you're going to see even more inconsistency. We what, forgot what about position Liverpool now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we, we, I was just going to ask just what say position this. is. God, sorry. What position is he? Yeah. What well, position I is Kai Havertz? To be honest, when I see him play his best football, that was when he was playing in Germany. He was playing as a number ten. That's when I see him. He's playing his best football. Um, but I don't look at Havertz as an upgrade, you know, to Xhaka. To me, Xhaka was playing better in that left of a three than Havertz is. And how, and we paid sixty five million for him, so that's why I'm that's why I, the only reason why I'm asking questions about him is because I see Madison go to Tottenham for how much, Phil? Forty million. Forty million. I'm seeing McAllister go to Liverpool for thirty odd million, and I'm seeing him come to Arsenal for sixty five million. And he, again, he's trying to find his feet, but he's been in the Premier League for many years now. That's my I problem. think it's I think it's really good business. Havertz to Arsenal for sixty odd million. I think you're trying to wind me up. No, 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 no. <laughs> no really, I think you're trying really, to wind me up. No, I think it's superb business by Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. You got me there. You got me there. Absolutely. Let, let's move on to Man City. Um, um, is the, I mean, the title's out of their hands now, right? Technically, it's out of their hands, but we know they're still very much in it. Um, the, 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 the performance against Chelsea was probably the most concerning kind of thing about that, about the game, it's about, about the result. Uh, do you think, Jay? Yeah, but I think, I think Chelsea should have won that, let's be honest. They had so many good chances to win it, big chances to win it. Um, I felt that even though Man City had the possession, I think Chelsea still had the better chances to win the game. Um, I mean... They had situations. Haaland, no, come on, yeah. Haaland had... No, Harlan, yeah, but Jackson... Big, big chances. Jackson's one-on-one with a goalkeeper. 
Yeah, yeah. But, but Jackson's not Haaland. Jackson's not Haaland. Haaland had chances that you no, 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 he has to score. I get what I you're saying. Even, I get what you're I, saying. Look, I, I agree with you, right? They're, they're, I think they both had... I, I think the game could have easily been another 4-4, like it was at Stamford Bridge. Okay. I, okay. I don't think necessarily Chelsea should have necessarily won. I think City on another day would score four, and I think Chelsea could, like they did at Stamford Bridge against Man City, score four. But it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I mean, I, let's, I'll agree with that part. But from, from my point of view, I, I don't think... I think the reason why City find it hard to get results against other teams, and I don't think any other team really experiences this in the Premier League, no team goes out there to press Man City, really. The only one that I've seen do it is Liverpool. And they've done it pretty well sometimes. And then they, and, and, and then they give Man City a problem. But no one really tries to go and press Man City. Everyone just stays in. And they play counter-attack football because they know you can't beat Man City in a football match. And I find that's why Man City sometimes have problems breaking teams down, especially when Haaland misses the kind of chances that he did. I don't think Arsenal's had that yet. I don't think Liverpool's really had that yet. Teams will still go and try and press them and still try and beat them in the game of football. And I think that's the reason why Man City are slipping up and Arsenal and Liverpool are, are, are doing so well in the league. But we, we we're going to say, like, on that performance um, on the weekend where Haaland missed three massive chances, and, and I'll, I'll say it like I've said it many times before, we're talking about a player that the bar is incredibly high, right? It, he's not a mere mortal. He's above that, right? And his record, he's brought it on himself. I'm going to blame him. He's brought it on himself because he's that bloody good, right? So we're going to be hypercritical about the guy. He's missed three big chances. We saw his reaction after the game. But, but that's not City, right? We can't just blame one person. We can't just say it's Haaland and that's why. Because City in the past have played without a number nine and won games. The goal scoring is normally shared. But the problem, I, I want to ask you, Jay, with, with Haaland in their side, do City become so focused just on that one player for delivery? No, if anything, I think that having Haaland in the, in the team makes it easier for City, to be honest. Because we, I've seen lots of times when they were playing with Foden up front, they played with Mahrez there, Sterling when he was at the club, playing as a false nine. I think they, it got to a point where it was so difficult to break these teams down, especially in the Champions League. When you've got someone like Haaland in your team that's fast, he's strong, he's six foot five, you can just put balls in the box. And generally, like you said, Mark, he'll put them chances away. I think this is just one of those games he missed chances. It happens to all forwards. You miss chances, but I think the most important thing, and you will know this, Mark, being playing with the likes of Bobby and you know all the great strikers you've played with, is that you keep getting in positions, you're going to score goals, especially someone like him. So I don't, even though he was upset about it, and you know, I don't want to blame him, but he was the guy that missed the chances, so he's going to take that responsibility and say, "Yeah, I, you know, I should have scored them chances. Maybe I'm the reason why we didn't win the game." But I think more often than not, they're going to get in them situations. He's going to get chances like that, and he's going to put them away. So I'm, I'm not going to blame just him. It's the team as a whole. It's nice listening to analysis from a former England international, isn't it, Mark? On the I, I have to say, it's refreshing. <laughs> yeah, refreshing man. rather than. Um, someone that used to play for about 17 clubs and claimed to support about 12 of them. Uh, well, I've played, I played for about 15 clubs and supported one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, well, a certain Michael Bridges actually, I think, publicly declares his uh, allegiances with about four clubs. Um, and uh, we're never quite sure who he actually supports. And I suppose, and the thing about it is, all the teams he sport, supports 
I don't think he's... No, he's definitely not won the Premier League in the last 20 years. <laughs> so how bad turns up on the day, right? Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but it, it still feels though, Phil, it's still... For me, it's almost like inevitability that yes. City are going to win the league. I think everyone's like almost traumatised the fact that City have won the league so many times in the last year, few years and the way that they've done it and the run that they went on particularly last year and they clawed Arsenal back and everyone's got it into their head that nah, they're going to run now and they'll win. They'll go on a run now and they'll win. Yeah, they're going to win 5-0 in the next game. It's just going to happen. It's just going to happen because it's City and we just seem to be like conditioned to expect this to happen because it's City and it's what they've done and I don't know. I'm kind of rebelling against that idea. Are when you? you asked, well, you asked me a few weeks ago. You know, when who you do you want problems. to win them, Phil? Do you want to ask? Who do I want to win? To win? If you do, I want if, any, you, if you do, you want Arsenal to win? Anyone, no, I want anyone who isn't Arsenal. You to just win. said you support Tottenham. <laughs> do support Tottenham. I want anyone who isn't Arsenal to win the league. But there's um, only one contender. Then there's only Liverpool left. So you want Liverpool? No, but I'm not. It's not about what I what I want now. It's about what I think might happen, and you know who I think is in the title race. And Arsenal are very much in the title race. And I think Liverpool. You asked me a couple of weeks ago when we when we were speaking about Jurgen Klopp announcing his uh, his leaving at the end of the season and who's going to win the league. Are they going to do it? And I felt that Liverpool were going to do it, and I, I'm sticking by that now because I just feel like they have got this kind of momentum um, that is inspiring confidence in me and I just don't buy this like ah City are just going to do it they're just going to go on a run of form and do it that's just what they do and okay social media people can clip this up in three or four weeks when they've won eight on a row and I'm looking very very silly but I just don't think that this is that's just that's just not a valid excuse they've done it in the past they'll do it again I think there are there are that's a part weaknesses of it. That's a, in the city but that's the reason why people think it right because they've been in these situations before and then they've come and just won like I said 13, 14, 15 games in a row so I think that's why people are saying that and I don't think you, you can't say that about Arsenal because they haven't done it before and you know Liverpool have you know they've got close to it but they haven't really done it before um, so that's why I think more people are going with Man City I think the only thing with Man City is like I said is it's difficult breaking those teams down when they just put 11 people behind the ball and sit inside the box. Because like you said, if you're throwing balls in the box and for whatever reason, Haaland doesn't turn up and score goals, then, you know, it could be a draw. It could be a loss because I, I like I said, I watched that Brentford game. And if, if Brentford, if Brentford had those players, Wissa, um, Embuemo and Tony, like they did in the, the, the previous games, they would cause Man City problems because they just play counter-attack football. And with the pace of those three, that's the reason why Man City have problems. And that's the reason, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure Man City are going to lose more games. I'm sure Arsenal will and Liverpool will. I don't think that, that n none of them are going to go unbeaten between now and the end of the season. But who's going to win, Jay? Man City. Man City. Oh, young against yeah. Arsenal. See, I'm not going to, what you're saying is you're saying that Man City have won it and therefore they are the favourites to win it. Uh, Liverpool, the other team that have won it most recently out of all the teams other than Manchester City. I'm just going to say fundamentally, I believe that Man City have the best squad. They have the best squad of players, 100%. therefore are the favourites to win it. Um, but it's definitely a three-horse race. So I'm still leaning towards Man City, but I hope that I'm wrong in some ways and I hope it's going to go down to the wire to the very last game of the season. Let's wait well, and see. Just... But it's certainly intriguing. One thing I will say though, like you said, having the squad, the depth is the most important thing because you're in the European competition. I think when you've got a squad that you can rotate and bring top class players in to fill the voids of injuries or a lack of form of a certain player or whatnot, I think that is what helps you 
go and win these competitions. And we've seen that with City before. And like I said, Arsenal are trying to win the Champions League still. Let's not say that they're not. They're still trying to win the Champions League. Of course, they're in it. Of course, they're in exactly. it. And they want to win exactly. it. Uh, no, there's no doubt about it. But hang on, I'm going to say to you even further, right? So you're saying Man City's going to win the league, as I, as I am. Do you think Man City are going to win the treble again? No, I don't no. think so. No, uh, I'd be, I'm pretty certain they won't actually, because I just don't. I, I still think they're favourites to win the Champions League. I, I, really? I genuinely believe that they're favourites to win the Champions League. Yeah, yeah. I, I still think. Fav- one of the favourites. They're one of, of probably four yeah. or five teams that are there to win it. I think I four still or think five. That, what four or well, five? Well, okay, teams two, or three, maybe. Same, two, two or three. It's them and Real Madrid. It's them and Real Madrid. Uh yeah. Look, luck of the draw. Who thought Chelsea had gone and win the win the the Champions oh, League when they oh, did? Oh well, yeah, obviously. But we're talking about favourites, aren't we? Yeah, not no, no, right. of course. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Arsenal. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Yeah, no, Arsenal are not favourites because they're not favourites <laughs> to win the league, are they? They're not favourites to win the league, Jay. You can't contradict European, yourself Europe, like that. The, the European competition is different, though. It's yes. easier. It's easier to win the Champions League than it is to win the Prem. Is it? I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Know it's about fewer that. games. It's fewer <laughs> games. They're, what, they're seven what? games away from winning it. All right, we'll give you that. There are fewer games, Phil. Yeah. <laughs> God, I, I, God knows I hope it doesn't happen but you know I think Arsenal have probably got a better chance of, of winning the Champions League than they do of winning the Premier League quite possibly we'll see have to wait and see only time will tell um, the good thing is they're still in the race for the Premier League as well as the Champions League of course anyway let's move on not only do we have a title race in the Premier League but the WSL also looks like it may go down to the wire too after this weekend's results Norell and Ash have more Thanks, Schwartzy. Well, yes, we finally have a title race on our hands, Ash. I feel like it's the moment that not everyone's been waiting for, but most of us have been waiting for Chelsea to drop points, and they did that at home to Manchester City. I think every week you and I have been waiting for this to make it sort of interesting, something nice and spicy. And I think it was 33-game unbeaten streak at Kings Meadow for Chelsea. So, like, massive effort for City to go there and do that. And I think they've been playing probably the best football in the league to start, you know, this year. And they got the result on Saturday. It makes it super interesting, doesn't it? And of course, it's Bunny Shaw with the decisive goal, her 14th of the season. But also what we saw City do really well was they pressed them and they're really dominant in the midfield and perhaps maybe set a blueprint of how other teams can approach Chelsea now for the rest of the season. Definitely. And I think, you know, so what you touched on was they're sort of showing... Um, Chelsea into the midfield and then swarming them there like they wanted to press them in there win the ball back there and counter which is what got them their goal it was super effective in the first half in the second half Chelsea managed to stamp their sort of authority on the game again and I think you know City have got the perfect blend of a match plan that works and they've also got the squad to work you know because that you have to be perfect if you want to beat Chelsea you have to be able to beat them you know for 90 minutes not just have a perfect 45 and take the lead so I think City have had had the upper hand in that one whether other teams can replicate it I'm not sure if they've got the quality that City do to be able to execute on the day well that means Chelsea and Manchester City are level on points and even level on goal difference and that's also given a lifeline to Arsenal now so instead of being what six points off the pace it's just three now that deficit yeah and we saw on the weekend just the huge amount of support they have they sold out the Emirates for the first time ever for a WSL match 60,000 people went to watch them take on Manchester United who are fourth so a very impressive win for them as well yeah it was and it I think it's probably still open for Arsenal to get 
back into the title race properly. But, you know, I don't know whether it was the absolute quality of Arsenal that shunned through or how bad Manchester United were. It was, you know, I, I think Arsenal still probably have a long way to go in sort of settling their lineup and playing a team that's going to win, not trying to fit all your best 11 players on the field. So they've still got a job to do, but I think they've certainly got the, you know, if they want to, they've got the skills to be able to do it. They just need to catch up with those front two. As a Manchester United fan, <laughs> do you think European football is out of the question now? That gap between third and themselves and fourth is just getting bigger by the week. It is. And the gap is, the points gap is growing, like you said, but I think the, the gap in quality is becoming quite obvious between them and the top teams. I think they've lost 3-1 to those top teams so far this season, all of them. And the, the quality on display from Manchester United. They're just outshone in every facet of the game, essentially. And I don't know that they can keep pace with the top three. Maybe they need to go back, rethink things in the summer, make some signings, you know, maybe change a coach, and then they'll be able to compete again next year. For Arsenal, though, they'll be waiting for not just one team to slip up now, but two. And Schwartzy, do you think Arsenal are still very much in this title race? I think they are. Uh, they're three points adrift right now behind Chelsea and Manchester City. It's an outside chance for them. They've got to still play both of them, um, but they're both away. Chelsea have shown that they are susceptible to losing games at home. They've lost against Man City in the last game. Arsenal are. I still believe Arsenal have the best squad, player for player, but their performances haven't shown it throughout the course of the season. We've seen glimpses, no European football, but not enough consistency in the league. And that's the only thing that's going to let them down this season. But on paper, yes, they're still very much involved. And I'd like to see um, it go down to the wire in the WSL as well. And I think we could see the first time in the WSL history, a team winning the league, having lost more than two games in a season, which will be pretty interesting, which makes it a lot tighter. Um, and it makes it go down to the wire to the very last weekend, hopefully again, like it did last season. Make sure you check out the Women's Football Wrap on the Optusport app as well. We're going to talk La Liga just in a minute. But first, the J-League returns live and exclusive on Optus Sport this weekend. Jay, you spent six years uh, there. You scored 69 times. You know what? I didn't even know that you played that long in the J-League. Um, crazy, isn't it? I mean, it, it, like, tell us, tell us all, um, why would you want to watch the J-League? What makes it so, so exciting? What made you stay there that long? Um, and uh, why should we tune in each week? I mean, per, for the, well, definitely, if you like football and you, you like the purity of football, then watching the J-League is, is really interesting because you get to see a lot of technical players, quick, they're very tactical, very intelligent on the pitch. Um, and I, I truly do believe that a lot more players that play in the J-League will be coming to the, you know, Europe more often now. Um, I think from my point of view, when I first went to, to, to Japan, I went there with, you know, open eyes. I, I played in Italy when I went when I was twenty one, and I found that really difficult to adapt. And to be honest, I was I wasn't. It's not that I wasn't trying to adapt in Italy. It was more that, you know, I'm from England. I'm, I played in the Premier League. The Premier League is the best league in the world, and that is, to be honest, going to Italy and playing against you know some of the best players you know ever. It was just me being stubborn to the idea. So I got used to living in another country. 
So when I went to Japan this time, I went there and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to completely embrace myself into the Japanese culture, the Japanese way of life. I'm not really going to mention, you know, what I've done in England, what it's like in England, you know, Premier League football, as much as they did ask me loads of questions about it. I think it's important for any foreign player when you go to somewhere like the J League, especially Japan, you have to really immerse yourself in their culture. And the reason why I stayed there is because, first of all, again, the, I love, you know, technical players. You know, I love seeing it. Um, the, the stadiums, it was really family orientated. The lifestyle was great. The food was great. It, it is a, just a great way of life there. And I think that's what kept me there for so long, to be honest. All right. Give us three reasons why we need to watch the J-League on Optus Sport each week. Again, to watch how good and technical the players are. Um, to see the next generation of players that um, Australia will be competing against going for the, the World Cup qualification. And then I think looking at those players that you can really you know, throw your hat on to see who are going to go and play well in Europe. Um, because, you know, the Premier League is the, you know, the, the most watched league in the world. And you want to see the best players from all over the world going to compete in the Premier League and in the European leagues. Um, so I think going to see... J-League football will give you a head start on what players you think can go and do that. La Liga time. Let's talk about Real Vallecano against Real Madrid. Phil, Phil, Phil. Your team <laughs> Mark, playing Mark, at Mark. home yeah. against Real Madrid. Yeah. And you're a season ticket holder. I am. You weren't there. I wasn't there, mate. I was, uh, I was back in London. I was back in North London because I went back. It was uh, my mum's birthday. Did she and, know, you know that Real Valcano was playing no. at home against Real Madrid? No, no, no. Oh, no, no. Phil, because it's North London, I can understand yeah. why you, can't, you stayed here, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, I actually went with my son as well, and I didn't tell him that it was uh, Rio against Real Madrid no. until we were at the airport. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah, we're missing this weekend. It's Rio, Real Madrid. He goes, what? I said, yeah, sorry, man. Um, so he uh, oh, he got fed a lot of cake and ice cream to um, to get over that. that, that oh, pain. so it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because you said just before on air, your son was projectile vomiting across the room. So you actually fed him too much ice cream <laughs> and too many sweets you to convince what? him that there's so, not a bad thing missing out on the game. Phil, it's all out. Say nothing. That's, yeah. that's poor parenting from you. <laughs> <laughs> just got to do what I got to do, man, to get through the day. Uh, it was, it's, been, it's been a long, long day today. Um, but yeah, so we missed we missed Rio one, uh, Real Madrid one, and um, and it was uh, an interesting game. I think obviously Rio have a, a new manager, a guy called Inigo Perez, who was supposed to be Antonio Raoles, uh, second in charge at Bournemouth, but he didn't get the uh, work permit, so he was uh, free when Rio were looking for a new manager last week, and he's come back to the club where he was last season. And uh, yeah, Real Madrid were a little bit lackluster. I mean, they started really well. Uh, they scored early on, and you felt like, wow, they're going to go on and batter Rio. And then after 20 minutes, the intensity dropped, and Rio got a penalty, got back into the game. And that kind of, like, the game kind of ended after that. After about half an hour, not much else happened after that. And obviously, there was no Tony Cross for Real Madrid, who orchestrates everything. There was no Jude Bellingham, who's out injured, who's just been unreal injured. this season. They, they got four centre-backs out injured. So, you know, it's... Um, yeah, it's a, it, and Carlo Ancelotti said after the game, you know what, a point here isn't, isn't that bad. You know, if you're in a title race, you can't win every game. But so make sure you don't lose. And they got a point away at a team. And yeah. So do you think Rao will stay up? I think they'll stay up because there are three teams that are much worse than them. There are three teams that are much worse than everybody. So Almeria, bottom of the table, they still haven't won 
After 25 games, it is a record-breaking run and they're on course for the lowest points tally ever. Just above them are Granada, who haven't got many points and aren't playing much better than them. And then there's Cadiz, who um, haven't won for five and a half months. They've scored 15 goals in 24 matches and actually look like the worst team in La Liga, despite Amorebi and Bottom. So there's those three. And I think those three might not win a game again for the rest of the season. That's the kind of form they're in. So, yeah, I think Raya was there. season, though. I was there. It was against Alaves, <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't great. But yeah, um, that's true. That's true. They, they've only won one home game, right? Do you not know, think, you know, think when the, the team's down at the bottom? This is what I take. I think when you're when you're in a relegation battle and you're down, I think your home form is everything. It is, and particularly at a place like uh, Vallecas, which is like a really tiny, small uh, stadium where the fans are right on top of the. Uh, the, um, the, 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 the the players. I mean, Barcelona didn't win there this season. Real Madrid didn't win there this season or last season. It's the kind of place that the big teams don't like going there. Atletico Madrid won 7-0, but we don't need to talk about that. Uh, but generally, it is supposed to be a fortress, but it hasn't been this season. So if they can pick up a few more points, they'll be fine. They're eight points above the relegation zone. And those three are looking like they're gone already in February. I thought there was one pivotal moment in that game, though. Real, uh, Real at home to Real Madrid. Two minutes, 38 seconds in, Lunin plays a ball out. Rail win the ball out really high up the pitch. They just can't get a shot away on goal. They have a great chance of scoring. They can't get a shot away. 17 seconds <laughs> later, Yossalu yeah. scores the, the opening goal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that guy that couldn't get the shot away uh, quickly enough is Raul de Tomas, uh, who hadn't scored all season. Uh, they're record signing, big striker, lots of hopes on him, but he hadn't scored all season, you can tell. And, you know, as a striker, Jay, you'll know that when you haven't scored all season, that sharpness, it's not there, is it? That confidence just to take something early first time, you overthink it and you could really clearly see that that's what he did in that game. He did then score a penalty uh, later on, so he's broken his duck for the season and hopefully from a Raya Vallecano perspective, he'll, he'll get a few more. Mm. Yeah, and you could see he was celebrating wildly as well. It was, it was a big deal for him. So, yeah, um, let's see, let's see. Uh, Barcelona, they leave it late again. I mean, this is a bit controversial as well. Um, Rod Lewandowski scores both goals. Um, the penalty, the winner, 90 plus seven minutes, I think it was. Penalty yeah. awarded, he takes it. Guaita comes off his line a little bit. But then there were question marks over Lewandowski's run-up. Did you? I mean, Jay, have you seen it? Lewandowski's run-up, stop-start. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't like that, to be honest. Um, what do you, in fact, it's, it's, it's great insight here because I need to know, Mark. What, what do you feel like as a keeper? Do you, do you like that? Uh, no, look, I, I think it's really hard because it's, it's about that momentum. About there, There's a natural tendency to move as a goalkeeper. So, you, so the hard, one of the hardest things is, is to stay still as long as possible, not to guess. Because sometimes in your head you're saying, wait, 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 and then all of a sudden you feel like it's going that way and you let yourself go. and it goes the other way where you were thinking, where it was actually your head was really thinking and your body went that way. Yeah. So it, it's a really hard thing to, to, to crack, to stay on your feet as long as possible. It's something you need to work on all the time, every, in every aspect, whether it's coming out in a one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's, you know, uh, on your line reaction, say it's waiting to the very last second to make a decision. I'm st still, I'm still doubtful whether or not the penalty was legit in terms of the run-up, whether he stopped yeah, well, I mean, to be, to, sorry, Phil, to be honest, from my point of view, I, I like to make the keeper wait before I've even moved. So I'll wait, you know, I'll put the ball down, I'll step back and I'll wait there. 
I'll make the keeper wait because I think the keeper's anxious to move, like you said. So I'll wait, but I've already picked my side. And I feel that if I hit the ball well enough, I'm confident yep. that I can put the ball in the corner. So when I, when I've, I've missed one penalty and I was lucky that I was able to retake it. And it was the same kind of thing. I was jogging up to the ball and I started my, 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 my approach. But the keeper didn't move. And then when I put my head down to look at the ball, the keeper suddenly moved and it was the way I wanted it to go. And then all of a sudden I tried to change my mind. I didn't hit with enough power. The keeper just kind of fooled me, went the other way and, and picked it up. But I, everyone went into the area. So I was able to get another opportunity <laughs> to score. And then I just hit it as hard as I could and scored. So for me, I was always one of those players. I just believe in my technique as in, if I put it hard enough in the corner where I want to go in, more often than not, I'll score. I mean, this is a technique that Robert Lewandowski has used a lot, I think, throughout his uh, career and no one has pulled him up on it uh, yet. No. So I guess he's doing it right within the the, the, the limits of, of what is allowed because you're not allowed to stop your run, are you? It has to be a continuous movement. So he just slows down and does a little hop and a skip and and then takes this uh, this penalty. So this game, Barcelona 1-2-1 against Celta Vigo uh, with this 93rd minute penalty. And it was just another really quite... Bad performance from from Barcelona. It's four games now since Xavi announced that he's leaving at the end of the season. And it's been four games, four really poor performances. Yeah, they got 10 points from a possible 12, but they were playing like lower table opposition that they should have comfortably won against. And they have put in really, really questionable performances. They're not moving the ball quickly enough uh, in attack. Defensively, they look nervous. And when they conceded a goal, they looked like panicking all over the place. There's individual errors. Jules Koundé, who was who is an incredible defender, he's got uh, technical ability on the ball, vision, speed, power. He has been appalling all season. And these are just individual errors that are costing Barcelona. It didn't cost them on this occasion because they managed to get a 93rd minute penalty, but they're not playing well at all. And then after the game, Xavi comes out with the phrase, I've been past the statistic telling me that according to big data, we should be top of the table, uh, given the uh, chances we create. Um, I mean, technically he's right because, well, technically he's right. I've got some expected data. goals. I've got some Go data on. for you. If, yeah, if Barcelona played the first half of football matches and that was it, they'll be 12th in the league. They've scored 20 of their 53 goals between the 75th and 90th minute. That's 38% of their goals. I think it's more than anyone it's in poor. any of Europe's top, it's just top, poor. top, top, top but I leagues. Think, yeah, yeah. I think, I think the problem they have is, I think Pedri... Pedri was, you know, he's an amazing player. And I think that he, he he's had injuries. I mean, he played so much football in the last few years. It's unbelievable. Um, and I think now it's caught up with him and he's starting to get these injuries. Um, and then same with Gavi as well. Gavi's been fantastic, even though I think he's got one, one goal and one assist. But it just seems like he knits everything together, kind of like the Modric of, of Barcelona. Um, I, I don't see many standout performances there this season, to be honest. Phil, I... Feel a new hashtag coming on. Or what, only watch Barcelona's second half performance. <laughs> only you, might yeah, I mean, you might as well, right? <laughs> Listen, that, that, that stat that Jay's been giving about the first half is one that I've been mentioning quite a lot on the pod. And actually, it, um, they jumped a few places this weekend because they were winning at halftime. I think they were 14th or 15th before the weekend started. So, yeah, it's been... It's been like, it's if you're doing that consistently and people say, oh, well, if you score late, you know, it's the, it's the sign of a, a title winning team, you know, getting results when they don't necessarily deserve it. If you're doing that every single week, it is a sign that 
there's something's wrong. Like structurally, that there, there is something wrong. You, you shouldn't you, be I doing think... that. Shouldn't be relying on that. I think that the fact that they brought in so many players, I think that that hasn't really helped, to be honest. Um, and to be, if I'm being 100% honest, I'm not sure Lewandowski was the right player to bring in for them. I really don't. Because don't get me wrong, he's one of the best number nines ever. He's a fantastic striker. I really like him as well. But I just don't think he's right for Barcelona. Some players, you know, some players go to clubs and they're great and other players go to clubs and they're, you know, You'll see glimpses, but then you don't see the same kind of quality we're showing at Bayern. Yeah, but Jay, if you, you say that, right? But last season he played 34 league games, scored 23 goals and seven assists. This season he's played uh, 23 games so far, he scored 12 goals and five assists. I mean, it's still... I know it's not the same as when he was at Bayern, right? But, but Bayern were so much more dominant. And he's come to a Barcelona side who are no longer as dominant um, as they previously were. So... I still think they're pretty good stats. Phil, do you do you agree? Listen, last season he was the top scorer in La Liga and for the first 10 games or so before the World Cup break, he was extraordinary. Like genuinely, we were going, wow, he is uh, on the top of his game and it's not just the goals that he's scoring, his all-round link-up play, his assist, his movement. He's a really incredible footballer. Then there was a dip after the World Cup and then he finished the, the season quite strongly as well. And this season, he's not been at the races at all. Like genuinely, he has looked way off the pace and there's been a few physical problems. He's playing almost every game, uh, uh, which at the age of 35 is maybe not ideal. And um, I don't think he's going to be there next season, not least because uh, in the third year of his contract, he's got to earn something in the region of 33, 34 million euros, which is the way it was structured. And I don't think Barcelona have got the money to uh, uh, to pay him that. So I think they might look for an exit for him in the, in the summer. There's no doubt that Lewandowski is a great striker. I mean, like you said, his goal scoring is unbelievable everywhere he's been. But he's a victim of his own success, like you said before, Mark, when it comes to Haaland. We hold his his performances in such high regard now. We just expect him to be like a goal every game, almost. Mm. Um, but like you said, I think as you get older as a football player, I think goalkeepers is a little bit different. From But from my point of view, you have to reinvent your game. And it's difficult because father time catches up with everyone. That's just the way it I'm goes. Yeah, it does. Sorry. I mean, I'm just looking at stats, right? So, <laughs> so at Borussia Dortmund, he played 192 games, scored 106 goals. At Bayern, 402 games, 355 goals. At Barcelona, he's played 89 games and scored 53 times. They're good it's stats, aren't they? It's yeah, unbelievable. So, good. But like it's almost said, like he's the best centre forward. But like in the you generation. said, Phil, yeah. you said yeah. this season he's not been at the races, and that no. can that can happen with age. All of a sudden, you know, you we see that with uh, Abamian. Abamian was amazing at Arsenal. Then all of a sudden he fell off a cliff. Yeah, but we, we're talking and, about Lewandowski having a bad season. He scored twelve goals and five assists. Yeah, but you like, more that's what I'm saying. I'm we're, we're, we're still saying <laughs> we're, what we're talking about. You, you talk about Aubameyang no, right. there, right? Aubameyang's last season at Arsenal was woeful terrible. by comparison. Yeah, yeah, I, you can't even. I'm, I'm sorry, Jake. You can't compare. Uh, <laughs> you can't compare no, Aubameyang with Lewandowski okay. right okay, now. That was a wrong analogy. Not in the last what, season. What I'm comparing is is the fact that he was amazing. He was running away from defenders. Yeah. He was really, really um, he, uh, um, effective. But then all of a sudden, he wasn't effective. And I'm just saying that sometimes when you get older, as you get older, I think you're still going to have a good goal scoring record because he's that talented. But being effective in the team you're at is different. That's it. 
He should have scored a lot more than the twelve. The, the, like the chances he's missed this season, he could have been in on on twenty. Given like the clear cut chances you expect Robert Lewandowski to score, he's not putting them away this season. I, here's one for you, Dola. I, I like Il, Ilkay Gundogan. I think he's been amazing. Even though Barcelona haven't, you know, they've been inconsistent. They're not playing well, like you said. I think he's played really well. He's been a standout performer. I think along with Frankie De Jong and uh, and Cancelo, I think. Them three players really have been Barcelona's best players. I think is he scored uh, f- uh, six goals, five assists from midfield. Um, that's that's the kind of numbers that he was doing at, uh, at Man City. I think he's been fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I'd go along with that uh, in terms of uh, Ilkay Gundogan. There was a little bit of um, question marks over what part of the midfield he was going to occupy, where exactly he was going to play, because the Barca midfield is being a bit restructured with with Busquets uh, moving on. They're looking for someone to play a little bit deeper. Obviously, Gundogan isn't necessarily that player, but he has played a bit deeper uh, on certain occasions. But yeah, the goal scoring has been impressive. And his leadership as well has been impressive. And there was quite a famous uh, quote when he uh, was very, very unhappy after the uh, classic and he was went into the dressing room and he came out. He said, "Some of the players in there, they're not, they're not angry enough. They're not angry enough that we lost." And he's brought that kind of, I was going to say, he's brought that winning mentality to the team. <laughs> the team aren't winning that much, so it hasn't necessarily rubbed off on on anyone. But having someone like Gundogan in that dressing room is big, and having him on the pitch as well has been one of the um, one of the highlights for Barca, definitely. That's all we've got time for today, guys. Thanks, Phil and Jay. Remember, you can watch every game of the Premier League, WSL, La Liga and the J League live and exclusive at Optus Sport. See you next time. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,